Welcome into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all as always. And we are officially, believe it or not, one game into the 2022 college lacrosse season as the Mercer Bears beat the Bellarmine Knights 9-4 to in the first game of the season. Really, when you look at it, this game was won from a stretch. 59 seconds left in the second through about three, I think it was three, sort of a box here, 315, I believe it was, 356 in the third. Um, Matthew Weingarten, uh, uh, Weingartner, with the unassisted goal to make it four to three. Um, Mercer, this comes after the only run that Bellerman was a- ever able to put together uh, with Denton McDonald, Braden Brown, Benny O'Rourke uh, getting three three consecutive goals there, uh, two coming early in the, in the second, one that O'Rourke, O'Rourke, uh, ah, uh, Benny O'Rourke goal, there we go, O'Rourke goal, uh, coming late in the second with 2.59 left. Uh, Del, Christian Del Rocco assisting on those first two goals of that run as well. I should note, that's the only run Bellerman ever got in this game. And then after that, uh, Mercer, they said, okay, we're going to get hot. We're going to say hot. They, Weingardner with the goal late, you know, really actually just kind of dribbled in there, um, past past in there. Late in the second, and then Taylor Dooley, Cole Leggett, Sean Goldsmith, Carl Klepper, um, and Corey Reed uh, with six straight there um, from you know late in the second through early in uh, late in the third to really put this thing away, make it nine to three. Um, Patrick Keegan assisted Justin Westcote um, on the goal. You know, late in the fourth, six nineteen left for Bellarmine, and the Knights had they had a good amount of opportunities there late in the game to come back. Um, you saw some some more so of them trying to initiate from up top um, and trying to get some downhill dodging going with guys like Benny Overwork. Uh, Jesse Roth and Teo uh, Oladume. It, it just wasn't simply was not working, um, and so you know Mosa comes away with the, with with the big win here. Um, you know I have a player of the game for both teams. For Mosa, we'll start with them. It's Ashton Wood. Um, you go thirteen for fifteen at the faceoff dot, eighty six percent. He did exactly what everyone knew he was going to do, and that's dominate. And, you know, I mentioned this in the preview. Mercer, and this includes the games against Bellarmine they had last year, would win the would win the faceoff dot significantly. But the issue was they couldn't hold on to the ball. They had a lot of turnovers. We didn't see them do that today. And so Ashton Wood, I I would argue, was even more impactful today than he has been because of what the offense was able to do. And 
you know, it wasn't all Sean Goldsmith either. Uh, you know, he he had two goals um, there. And this was a diverse, let's see, you had one, two, three, four, five, six. You had seven different goal scorers um, on nine goals for the Bears. You also had what, one, two, uh, three different assist uh, guys. Uh, yeah, three, four different uh, players have assists as well in this game. So they had a diverse looking offense there. Um, the the Bears did. It wasn't one dimensional. Wasn't all Goldsmith. Wasn't all do all Dewey. It, it was pretty pretty diverse and it was pretty well rounded offense as uh, there as well for Bellerman player of the game, John Robbins. Uh, he has five cause turnovers. He breaks the Bellerman all-time uh, career cause turnover record, uh, which was set last year by Eric Lubach. Uh, breaks that record of 73 there and uh, you know, p- you know, further solidifies himself as not only the best pole in this in, in, in the on that team and in the ASUN, uh, but as one of the better polls uh, that maybe people don't talk about enough in the country and certainly uh, one of the best polls in the history of the Knights program. Um, padlock stat, which if you don't know what a padlock stat is, basically if you didn't watch the game and you looked at the box score and you said, that, okay, that's the story of the game. That's how they won. Um, I think a lot of people would look at this game and say the padlock stat is Ashton Wood going 15 for 13 at the dot. And while I think that's certainly notable, I think an, I, th- I think really the story is the ground ball game for most, which, which does have a big impact at the faceoff dot. <laughs> let's, not, let's, let's not act like that's not the case. And I think... Wood had like nine ground balls in this game. Yeah, he had nine ground balls as well. So he was a big impact on this as well. But um, Mosu out ground balled, out ground balled. Is that a term? Is that a word? We'll go with it. Out ground balled, um, Bellerman 23 to 10. 23 to 10. Um, big. Big advantage there um, for the Bears as, you know, 23 to 10. I mean, that's that's a double digit. That's a 13 plus 13 advantage in the ground ball game. Um, look, I, I don't care who you are. If, if you get, you know, you get up 13 in the ground ball game, you're probably not going to win the game. You, you, just probably not. Um Ground balls, like rebounds in basketball, you got to get them. Bellerman didn't get them today. Um, and, and really, you know, Moso did get, you know, and, and not all of them were on, off the faceoff either. Like, there was a bunch on each end in the six-on-six. Six. Um, and Moso did get uh, most of those. Uh, w- when you go back and you watch the film, you can tell they were dominating the ground ball game, not only at the dot, but elsewhere as well, as also – just in the middle of the field when you did have uh, some bad passes and 
and things of that nature. And because it is genuine, it, you, you're a little bit rusty. You know, Mercer was a bit more fluid having played three scrimmages. Bellerman, this was their first game. They hadn't had any scrimmages since uh, this fall when they scrimmaged Lafayette and Mount St. Mary's. So, you know, one team's a bit more fluid than the other. Uh, but still, it, it, it's January lacrosse. Um, last point on this game. I'm um, going to kind of break down so, some notes from each team here. Um, and we'll start with Bellerman here. Um, obviously, I mentioned John Robbins played fantastic in this game. Uh, but, you know, this is a closed defense unit that has to get better. Um, you look at what this close defense unit looked like. And John Robbins, certainly the, the, the cream of the crop there, uh, you know, the guy on on defense as well as J.C. Higginbotham, the goalie, who had seven saves in this game. But you saw some young guys get, get playing time as expected at close. Um, there with guys, you know, Max Koopman, Braden Long, um, those guys, you know, Braden Long, you know, on, on that first play, so, so Bellerman came out in a zone, and they played zone for the majority of the game, I want to say, and so the, the first, the first possession for Mercer, working the ball around, Sean Goldsmith pops out, um, and he's kind of up top, um, kind of up top, and if, if you know the field, he's kind of like on the SoCon logo, logo. There and um, which I want to say is like the thirty-yard line on the football field. He, he's about there, and um, he gets the playing zone, so he, he gets matched up on a short stick. Uh, Goldsmith does, and he sees that, and you know, all specs says, "Ah, bye bye, see you later," and he just boom runs right past. Uh, Old Denton McDonald and, and Denton McDonald, um, solid, solid short stick defensive midfielder, as is Harrison Pate. Um, and look, I thought that that Bellerman rope unit of Jacob Bergen, the grad transfer from Whittier, uh, from Whittier, uh, Ben Taylor, uh, Jr., and Harrison Pate, um, who, who played short stick defensive midfield mostly. Denton McDonald also played there, also played on the wings of the faceoffs. I thought that that rope unit was probably the most effective piece at, in terms of a unit. Like Robbins and Higginbotham were good. I thought as, as a unit, though, that close def- that rope unit played pretty well, um, and, and they were able to um, you know push the issue a bit. Neither team had many um, transition opportunities. But when Bellerman did, it was, you know, Jacob Bergen or Harrison Pate or Ben Taylor, you know, running down there with the ball. Um, and it didn't happen very often. Um, and not for either team. wasn't a lot of transition at all. But Bellerman did get some of those opportunities with that rope unit, you know, going from defense to offense quickly. Um, just couldn't capitalize on it. Uh, but this, this close defense – in particular for Bellman, it's got to get better. Um, you have, and I mentioned they're, they're playing zone um, in, in that first play. 
you know, I, I can't remember who it was, one of the younger, uh, oh, uh, Braden Long, was 99, got a little bit of contact on uh, on Goldsmith, you know, as, as he's releasing the ball, but you know, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, so this Bellerman close defense unit, it should get better. You know, you got some young guys back there, so they should get better, but they're going to need to, especially, uh, you know, if, if they play the way they did today, um, as, as soft as they did at times against Michigan, whew, uh, you know, I don't expect them to beat Michigan next week at all, but if they play as soft as they did at times, it, it's going to be a lot uglier than anyone could expect it could be possible. Um, Bellerman, I mentioned kind of transition play. Um, they did ride pretty well. They had a 10-man ride going. Um, it, it, it was a – and I think both teams, the ride was pretty effective. as It wasn't really aggressive for either team um, in terms of like, – <laughs> you didn't see anything like you see from Carolina or Virginia. Um, but you had guys kind of in the right place at the right time and – and really for both sides, you know, not allowing many um, transition opportunities. Offensively for Bellerman, I mentioned Playstad was shut down uh, by Wesley Chairs. Um, this close D for, for, for most of played very well. Playstad was shut down. Um, that, you know, Playstead, Braden Brown, uh, and then Christian Del Rocco starting at attack. That attack unit didn't do much. You had one goal. You had two assists from that unit. Um, didn't do much at all. W- w- was shut down. Couldn't do. Couldn't couldn't break free. Couldn't break it, if you will. There, especially Playstead. He had two shots. Um, who I mean, comes in as your leading point getter. You, you need him to step up. Bellerman tried to initiate from up top a lot with guys like O'Rourke, Roth, Teo, Oldume, as, as I mentioned. weren't able to get that done. They had nine shots in the second half, uh, nine shots, excuse me, in the fourth quarter alone. Um, in the second half, they had 15 shots combined in the second half. A lot of those shots were coming from up top. And uh, not converting on that whatsoever. So I mean, th- those are some some points to hit on here from Bellerman. Mosa, um, I touched on Ashton Wood. Uh, he dominated, and you know, j- just want to reiterate that like he's one of the best faceoff men. He's the best faceoff man in the SoCon. The best faceoff man, and what he is a top ten, top five guy in the country. So he's gonna dominate. Um, Close defense, just as I kind of mentioned a little bit talking about the Knights' offense. Wesley Chairs uh, played fantastic today for the Bears' defense. There, uh, two cause turnovers, one ground ball. Uh, you also had Garrett LeClaire, uh play uh, pretty well there on defense as well uh, for the Bears. You know that those two guys in particular at close, I thought played very well. Um, mostly played more so of a man uh, defense than 
uh, as opposed to more of a zone and what Bellerman was in. And uh, LeClaire and Chairs really thrived in that um, with their matchups. And I mentioned Chairs was on Playstead for most of the game, shut him down. Uh, it was 52 on 52. Um, so, so that close defense, it was actually a lot better than I thought um, it would be for Mercer. Uh, maybe that's because they've played three scrimmages already, but um, maybe they, they just improved over the offseason. But, but I was, you know, very, uh, I don't want to say surprised because I thought, I mean, Colin Kelly, I knew was going to be good in cage. I knew Chalice was a solid uh Defender, but just overall, I thought that close defense played really, really well. And uh, you, you know, if, if they play like that, you got Bucknell coming up. We'll see what they do against them. But you know, most of you play like that defensively, and then you're able to get some of this momentum you got going on offense. Now you're going to need a lot more than you had today because it was stagnant for a number of you know, for, for, for a number of possessions. Um, mark that up to January lacrosse, if you will, but. The close defense played 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 pretty well. I was pretty impressed with. Um, it was a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Um, and then last point I want to hit on here, just sticking with with the that that defense uh, aspect there for for the for the Bears is Colin Kelly. Um, you know, I haven't talked a lot about him on this podcast at all today. Um, six saves. And he really did, really did play um, very, very well. Six saves is not a lot. He didn't, he didn't really need to play that well um, because, as I mentioned, the close D was playing solid, and Bellman wasn't getting those opportunities um, that they could have been. But when, when needed, and especially early on, you saw Bellman get some opportunities some shots in close. Kelly was always there to stop him. Like, he was always there. He was an absolute brick wall. Someone messaged me. Uh, someone had on Twitter. It was a, a brick wall. And um, Colin Kelly, and it said we need to find the difference between these two pictures. They're the same picture. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the, that, that is true. He, he, he was brick wall today. Uh, played fantastic. Um, you know, really, Moser uh, has had good goalie play from Kelly uh, the past couple of seasons. Um, it with him there, he played very well last season. You know, starting things strong again this year as well. Uh, this is a defense just overall, and really for Moser, I knew this offense was going to be pretty solid, but this defense, I, I I I was unsure of. And I know it's just game one of the season, but they really did play well. Um, and I know this; it wasn't against a top-tier offense at all. It was against an offense. You know, you know Bellman's an offense that was terrible last year. I don't think they're going to be much better this year. Um, no, but they could be. We'll see how things end up. But the fact of the matter is, they're not a top-15 offense. They're not a top-10 offense. But still, most of based on what they did a year ago, um, and based on what they did a year ago against Bellman, you know, th- this defense was, um, I don't want to say a surprise, but I you know, certainly played better than I thought they would, especially at close. Um, have confidence, co- had confidence in Colin Kelly, but uh, that, that close, close defense really did, I think, step up 
uh, more than I thought they would outside of chairs there uh, today to help uh, you know lead Mercer to a nine to four victory in the first college lacrosse game of the season. Moving away from that one game we had this weekend, um, some news and notes real quick. Um, here, really only, only one thing to talk about. Uh, Donovan Lacey uh, announces his transfer to uh, Maryland for the 2023 season. So he'll play at Sacred Heart this year, playing with the Terrapins in 2023. A real good two-way midfielder there. Plays mostly D-mid, but... Uh, does the face-off wings, uh, can play offense as well. He'll score a goal. He'll dance a little. A uh, really intriguing player there uh, from Maryland. So coming home to his uh, state uh, flagship school there in 2023. First-team All-NEC guy for uh, the Sacred Heart Pioneers last year. The only defensive all-conference guy that uh, the Pioneers had in 2021. 42 ground balls. 14 cost turnovers, 6 points, 3 goals, 3 assists. Very interesting uh, pickup there for uh, the Terrapins. As I mentioned, he can be of, imp- of impact really everywhere on the field. <laughs> Someone told me the, uh, the the other day after they, they had annou- uh, he had announced that, they said, you know, he's a, a poor man's Zach Curry, which, uh, you know, I don't know if that's – the I don't think that's the correct, um, you know, evaluation because Zach Collier is much more of an offensive guy um, or, or does more offensively than Lacey uh, does, or at least than he did last year. Uh, but a hey, poor man's <laughs> Zach Collier uh, because he is kind of that um, you know, utility-type player that can do a lot of things good. Uh, but, uh, again, interesting pickup there from John Tillman and the Terrapins. <clears throat> Some questions, um, mailbag questions that uh, I got um, or have gotten over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's three here, but actually two I'm going to push into one. So um, the, the first question, it you know reads, you know, it says, We've had a lot of transfers, a lot of grad transfers the past couple of years. Do you expect things to slow down? Um, well, in, in 2022, well, I can tell you, like, absolutely, yeah. Like, I don't think we're going to see a lot of guys grad transferring like they did in 2020. We saw a, a bit of a, a downtick in it last year. I think we might see even more of a downtick this year. Um but I will say we have 20, what is this, 23 guys, I think, currently enlisted on lacrossebucket.com, our transfer portal tracker, tracker, who are in the portal for 2023, all of whom are grad transfers. Are probably most notable guys are guys who have already found a home. So Sean Goldsmith, uh, Mercer, is going to North Carolina next year. Uh, back where he's from Carolina. Donovan Lacey just talked about him going to Maryland. Thomas McConvey heading to Virginia after finishing up his time at Vermont this spring. And uh, speaking of 
the catamounts. Uh, the next question I had here was, this is one of his two questions. It said, one said, what do you think of some of the best games week one? And then the other one said, what are the best games in February? So I'm just going to kind of put those together and say best games the first two weekends of the season. This was week zero. We have week one coming up. So for week one, I'd say the best two games are Maryland and uh, High Point and Duke and Vermont. Uh, so Duke and Vermont. So Duke actually plays Robert Morris on Friday, ACC Network. That's an interesting one as well. Craig McDonald's debut as the head coach of the Colonials. Obviously, B. Sean Lowy's debut with the Blue Devils, and we know how talented of a team Duke is. Um, so that game's on Friday. Then Duke will, will play Vermont on Sunday. And, I mean, would I call it the marquee game of the week? Like, I, I think that in high point. I, I think the high point, Maryland, Duke, Vermont, no, whichever one you want to say is the marquee game is the marquee game. They both headline the weekend. Um, they're both, you know, two talented, you know, power houses versus two talented mid-major programs that have had a lot of success recently. So uh, that is obviously intriguing. I think if you were going to ask me which mid-major would win in either of those games, I'm probably taking Vermont over Duke just because we know what Duke, we know that Duke, I'm not saying that's who I'm going to pick in the game, but if you were to ask me which one's more likely, I'd say Vermont because Vermont does return practically everybody from a year ago. And you can read my, uh, did a feature, uh, piece on Vermont uh, about a week or so ago, uh, interviewed Coach Fives up there, and, um, you know, they were talking a lot of talent, uh, McConvey, Klosterman, j- j- just everybody, Connell and Cage, I mean, everybody um, is back from that team. I think the only, like, holes they have are that uh, short stick D-mid, uh, where I think they should get some answers pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Duke obviously uh, hasn't scrimmaged. They don't scrimmage in the fall. They don't scrimmage preseason. It's the it's the John Desco, uh, the uh, John Donowski way um, there. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how things go in that one. Uh, Maryland High Point. You know, Logan Wisnowskis, his debut is number one. So that'll be interesting to see for the Terrapins, but but I think they're, they're head and shoulders better than uh, than High Point. But High Point, we know what the SoCon can and has done to, uh, and probably will continue to do to uh, powerhouse programs, uh, ACC's Big Tens. Week two, I have three games here for y'all. Uh, Richmond and North Carolina, again, SOCON versus ACC. Uh, we know what that can end up being. Uh, this is going to be uh, really interesting for both teams. Richmond, it's a new look defense. North Carolina, new-ish look defense, I guess. Will Bowen's not there, obviously, with uh, Georgetown. And we'll talk about them in a second here. Uh, but 
Uh, Carolina, obviously, the big thing with them is an entire new midfield line. So we'll see how that ends up there and, and how they do against the Spiders, um, top team in the in the SoCon, or a top team in the SoCon. Towson and Johns Hopkins, uh, and that's a Friday night game, by the way, Richmond UNC is. And then Towson and Johns Hopkins is also on that Friday night. Um, this is the debut, um, or not debut, but this is the first game of Peter Milliman against uh, Sean Nadalin uh, with you know, Hopkins and Towson. So uh, that's an intriguing piece. And then both of these teams are teams that want to show you we, we are back. We are back. Towson, you know, got got their things together late last season. Hopkins, same thing. Um, Hopkins even more so uh, and, and even later than uh, Towson did as Towson went on that little mid-season run there in April um, and then, you know, you know uh, faltered against, you know, two of the better teams in the, Ameri- in the uh, CAA. Uh, late in the season. So, uh, you know, that that has that going for it as well in terms of a storyline coming into that game. Uh, Maryland will, uh, excuse me, uh, Georgetown and, and Hopkins uh, play on Sunday. So Hopkins has two games uh, that weekend, uh, second weekend of the season. As I said, Hopkins looking to prove people wrong. Um, about, you know, last season, they're saying, you know, we had a fall. We had basically two seasons last year. Look what we can do now. Um, And Georgetown, you know, they're a a, a championship weekend contender, uh, you know, coming into into the season uh, hot, 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 and, uh, you know, ready to, uh, you know, ready to show that for a full season. We are the best team in the Big East. They have this defense of Will Bowen, Gibson Smith. That is the best in the country. Going to see how that looks in this one. Um, Maryland and Loyola is the Saturday game that uh, I I would circle here, as well as I'd also say Penn State Villanova is is always good, so circle that one as well. But uh, Maryland and Loyola, by my account, two championship weekend contenders there. And uh, I don't know... Uh, let me actually look this up real quick. Because I, you know, was thinking, you know, Loyola and Maryland, I don't, I know Maryland doesn't play Towson uh, much at all. They did a few years ago. I know they don't play Towson a lot. I, you know, it, I, it feels like it's been a while since Loyola and Maryland played. So, yeah, 2015 is the last time they played. Okay, that's what I thought. So, they don't play that often. That was a 10-11 game, uh, by the way, of, of, of Maryland. It was 12-10 in 2013. Um, and, you know, the, 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 they played in 2012, obviously, with that 9-3 Loyola national title game win. Um, but before that, they hadn't played since 1998. Like, they played 1998, 2012, 2013, 2015. They, they don't play that often. So uh, this, just for that reason, is an, is an interesting one 
And then both teams bring back a boatload of talent. Maryland obviously brings in a bunch of talent as well. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, a pair of in-state teams going after each other. A pair of really good championship weekend contender in-state teams going after each other in that one. All right, folks, that is all for today's episode. Again, thank you all for tuning in. You can find us on social media, at Lacrosse Bucket, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, where you can leave a five-star review. Spotify. Do they do reviews on Spotify? I think I saw they might have added that. Whatever. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, multiple other platforms that I have no clue what they are. Um, never heard of half of them. Um, Lacrossebucket.com is the website. You can stay tuned, locked and loaded there um, as we approach week one of the college lacrosse season. I'll be back with y'all on Tuesday as uh, we're going we're gonna to preview some games, folks, because uh, the season is here. The season is freaking here. Let's go.